Hello from ABA Annual Meeting 2018 in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Jason Taché of the ABA Journal. I'm Bruce Protein. Lisa Thaden. I'm Zach Weber. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. Thank you so much for joining us on the road. It's a pleasure to be here. Today we're talking about a topic that just about everybody who has gone to law school thinks about probably pretty often, including in their nightmares, and that is student loan debt. Uh, And then we have three great people joining us today, and they're going to give you a little bit of a sense of where they come from on this particular topic. I'm Bruce Protein, Director of Business Development for SoFi. We are the largest student loan refinancer in the United States doing a little over $30 billion in student loans being refinanced since our existence in 2011. And I'm Lissa Thaden at Access Lex Institute, where I'm the Managing Director for the Center of Education and Financial Capability. At Access Lex, we're a nonprofit organization dedicated to working on access and affordability of legal education. And I'm Zach Weber. I'm an assistant director in the Chicago Office of Financial Aid at Northwestern University. In that capacity, I oversee financial aid for our Pritzker School of Law programs, including JDs, LLMs, and a new MSL program. So I think a lot of people listening know what their student loan numbers look like. It follows you like a scarlet letter for years after the education is complete. Uh, Maybe someone for context could give us an idea of like, what does law school student loan look like across the country? That's a great question. So average student loan debt for law school grads now is around 90,000 if you're at a public law school and it's creeping upwards of $120,000 by graduation if you're at a private institution. Your student loan debt, of course, is going to be dependent on what you've borrowed. And some of you probably borrowed at undergrad as well as at law school. And so always the first step is making sure you know what that debt is. And if you aren't familiar with the National Student Loan Data System, you can find all of your loans at nslds.ed.gov or go out to studentloans.gov and you can find that big scary number for you. And do we know what the number is for the totality of those that have gone to law school, not just uh, individual numbers? I've never seen a breakout for Yeah, I don't know if there actually is a breakup. I... Student loan debt, I think right now, is about $1.4 trillion, I want to say, including undergraduate and graduate, and that's been creeping up over the past few years. So a percentage of that, a large percentage of that, I would imagine, would be graduate student loans, especially from the Grad Plus Loan Program. Now, Zach, I imagine this is a question you get a lot from your students. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways to manage student loan debt, yes. so give us a rundown of what the options look like. Yeah. When you're managing student loan debt while you're in school, what you're looking at is just keeping your numbers as low as possible so that you're not accruing interest while you're studying and getting towards graduation. Looking at outside scholarship opportunities, talking to your institution about potentially getting scholarships or grant funding, uh, managing your expenses so that you're not overborrowing. And really, when it boils down to it, you want to live like a student while you're in law school so that you do not have to live like a student after law school. That seems like decent advice. Now, in the last number of years, we've seen a lot of ads, I think, around for companies that are offering to refinance uh, public student loans uh, through private companies. So, Bruce, I was wondering uh, if you could make the pitch on why folks uh, should think about refinancing. So, we have a great panel with us today between Zach and Lisa, and basically their their first two steps a a law student or recent graduate should take is one, understanding the grants and everything you take, Two of, of Lisa's organization, understanding what you're eligible for if you have a federal loan and if you're eligible for some of the great 
federal programs for public student loan forgiveness, if you want to work for a nonprofit, to the income-based repayment programs. But as we all know, a lot of a lot of attorneys like to go into the private sector and work for for-profit organizations. Um, and so far, we take the stance of we do not think an attorney who has a great job, spent a lot of time in school, has to have the same interest rate as anyone else uh, that just signed up with the federal government and took money. So we look at you as an individual, where you work, where you live, and, and assign you a, a interest rate that suits your needs and a payment plan that fits for you. And that's why we see and have a partnership with the ABA. Um, attorneys fit very well with our business model as they are tired or it doesn't make sense for them to pay a high interest rate. So a graduate loan starts at 7.1% and goes up. Today, if you take it out, it's actually 7.6%. Um, and so SoFi, we're well below that. So we're literally saving you money on the interest rate. There's no other fees at SoFi, no processing, no cost, no late fees. Um, so it's literally a saving money plan. And so, Lisa, what are your thoughts on the refinancing thing? What are the, if someone's considering this, what are the things they should consider? What are the risks that they potentially uh, enter into? Yeah, so I think Bruce raised a good point, which is that, first of all, it's probably important for you to understand what your federal student loan repayment options are. And in the federal student loan program, you have upwards of seven or eight different repayment plans. Some of them are purely dollars-driven. Some of them are what are called income-driven repayment plans. And so depending on how much you're earning, um, you might find a very important uh, part of the the repayment process is looking at those income-driven repayment plans. It's really a personal decision to think through what's going to be important for you and how this is going to work into your budget. The way that the federal programs are created, you ought to be able to find a repayment program that works for you and for your budget, regardless of what ultimately your salary is. Um, And there are some additional deferment and forbearance options in there too. And so one of the other questions I have, and I know this is something that I think a lot about with law school debt, is how to balance uh, student loan repayments, savings, uh, retirement, living. What is the advice you give folks that are trying to uh, figure out what that pie graph needs to look like? The most important piece of information and advice that I give to students when I'm talking to them about this is you need to make a decision based on your own personal circumstances, your family circumstances, and what is going to work best for your financial situation. Some students want to get the debt off their shoulders as quickly as possible. They want to get that monkey off their back, so they're going to look at potentially refinancing their loans, getting a lower interest rate, paying it off as quickly as possible. Some other students are going to want to build in some financial cushion to save for other expenses, to invest buy mortgage, save for retirement, things like that. And if they stay within the federal programs, there are options built in to allow them to have that excess cash flow in order to save and put money into those other buckets. So it really, like Lissa said, it is a very personal decision that you need to make based on your financial circumstances and the circumstances of your family. And exploring all of those decisions and talking with a certified financial planner or another financial advisor is a really good way to kind of get a holistic look of all of your options and make a game plan moving forward. And can I add that I would love to encourage everyone not to leave money on the table. If your employer offers a retirement program and if you donate, say, 5% of your salary, not donate, but you put 5% of your salary toward that retirement plan and they are willing to match that 5%, then you've just essentially given yourself a 5% raise by making that decision. 
So we've talked a lot about the individual responsibility around student loans, and I'm curious on the other side of the coin is uh, the universities themselves. Obviously, law school tuition has gone up significantly over the past few decades. So I wonder what the panel's thoughts are on the responsibility that the schools have to make sure that their students are not graduating with crushing debt. I will say from the school perspective, Northwestern Pritzker School of Law has really made significant inroads on that for our students over the past few years under our dean's leadership. We've substantially increased the amount of scholarship and grant aid that we're giving to our incoming students such that we've been able to lower our average JD graduating student debt by about twenty dollars to $25,000 over the past three or four years. That it is something that the schools need to think about, especially in today's political climate and potential changes towards the federal student loan programs under the higher ed reauthorization. So it is definitely something the schools are thinking about, and a lot of schools are take, are making steps in order to try to make sure that they're taking care of those students with those, um, based on those concerns. Let's talk about that program for a second. Obviously, it's always this question of whether or not student loan forgiveness for those that go into government or nonprofit work is going to be around after the 120 qualifying payments. Uh, do we have a sense of what's happening right now? And if it does end, does this just leave people high and dry with a ballooned debt? Well, let's start with the good news. And the good news is that for anybody who is listening today and currently is in repayment or is even in law school and has loans, the way that the PROSPER Act is written, which I think is what you're referring to, the way that they actually eliminate public service loan forgiveness is through the creation of a brand new loan program and loans that you borrow in that program would not be eligible for PSLF. But anyone out there right now, um, the way that that law is written, you would maintain eligibility for public service loan forgiveness. So it's certainly smart to keep watching what legislation looks like. There hasn't been a lot of action on the PROSPER Act in the last few weeks. So keep your eyes open, but knock on wood, if you're in the position right now, you're probably air quoting grandfathered in, so to speak. I think it's also important as we talk about public student loan forgiveness for someone to understand what is actually going to be that balance that's left after 10 years. Yeah. And looking at the PROSPER Act and potential reauthorization of the Higher Ed Act, that is definitely something that schools are keeping an eye on as well, because that is going to change the calculus for how students will cover the tuition that's being charged by the schools. So dependent upon what happens in Congress, that's definitely something that might um, force some schools to make some decisions about how they offer their financial aid assistance to their students. So Lisa, I think this question might be for you if I understand your work correctly, but uh, feel free anyone to jump in. A couple years ago, the National Advisory Committee on Institutional Quality and Integrity, which is a part of the Department of Education, came out and basically called the American Bar Association to task for years of lax law school oversight, the ABA being the accrediting agency of law schools in the United States. Uh, and specifically, they called attention to ballooning tuition. Um, I'm curious, what is the ABA's role to try and stop either the ballooning tuition or to help those that have already taken out debt under, under ballooning tuition rates? Wow, that's a great question. Um, and I don't know that I actually know the answer to that. I can share a few thoughts and I think some of what schools have been doing. Um, at Access Lex, we've created a personal finance program that's just for law school students that many of the law schools in this country have adopted in an effort really to help inform their students about the financial decisions that they're making and help them make better financial decisions. And I think that's been really helpful to the students and it's been helpful to the schools. I think we're also seeing an evolution of how um, curriculum happens with 
Syracuse coming out with the online program and so forth, that can change the tuition model or the financial model of law school. And so as there is some flexibility for schools to play around a little bit with what that may look like, they may have some additional flexibility um, to look at what those funding models are at law schools. What about you, Zach, uh, working at an ABA-accredited institution? Yeah, I think it, it, you know, it just comes down to the accreditation standards that I think the ABA is going to be putting on the schools. It oversight is oversight can be a good thing, and it's it can make sure that the schools are keeping on track with ensuring that the students aren't graduating with the excess debt that they're not going to be able to repay. And at the end of the day. As a financial aid administrator, I want to make sure that the student, that my students are getting through their JD program with as little debt as possible while being, while not having any financial, undue financial stress put on them. And if I can, if I can help my students do that, then I feel like I'm doing my job. Is there a particular law school in the United States that could be held up as a model that is helping students manage their student debt or not allowing their tuition to, to grow at the the rate that we see it growing at many universities around the country? Well, we're here in Chicago and we have Zach on the panel, so I'm going to have to say it's, of course, Northwestern. (laughs) What I will say is I have worked with Pritzker School of Law's Career Services Office over the past few years to build up our financial wellness programming at Pritzker. Uh, We've introduced what's called the Financial Foundation Series, where we give seminars to especially 1L public interest students to make sure that they understand what their options are post-graduation with regards to paying back federal student loans. Mm -hmm. And we are looking to expand that into other financial topics like investments and retirement and things like that. Pritzker School of Law itself has tried to hold down its tuition increases over the past few years while still increasing the scholarship options and opportunities that we're giving to our incoming students. So I really think it's, you know, it's a work in progress, but the political climate being as it is, I think it's, it's definitely something that law schools across the nation are looking at. Well, hopefully a look at things to come for those looking to apply to to law schools in the near future. Well, we've reached the end of the road at today's episode. I want to thank our guests uh, for joining us today. Uh, If there is a way that people can get in contact with you, either website, email, Twitter handle, uh, feel free to share. So I'm Bruce Protein with SoFi. We've created a custom program for ABA members where you can go to SoFi.com slash ABA and receive a, a welcome bonus for being an ABA member. And you can call us 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 855-456-7634. And I'm Lisa Thaden at Access Lex Institute. You can find us online at accesslex.org. And if you have any personal finance questions, you can always email us at max, M-A-X, at accesslex.org. And I'm Zach Weber with the Chicago Office of Financial Aid at Northwestern University. I can be reached at Zachary, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y, dot Weber, W-E-B-E-R, at Northwestern.edu. And my office's website is chicagofinancialaid.northwestern.edu. Well, great. Well, thank you again all for joining us today. And we also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard here today, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.